Well, hello, everybody. I'm Quinn. And I'm Blake. And we are the pop maestros of the podcast generation. Happy New Year. Yes. Um, we're doing something a bit fun and a bit different. Um, we are now in 2022. So we have the full uh, scope of 2021 behind us. And I always love a good year-end retrospective. Same here. And um, what is what is the pinnacle of pop music but the Billboard Hot 100 number one song? Um, so to commemorate, you know, that the height of pop music achievement, um, Blake and I are going to be running down and ranking all of the songs that hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in the year 2021. Um, so I think just let's get things started by reviewing the songs that we're going to be ranking. Now, we have two uh, songs that did peak at number one in 2021 that we are not going to be ranking on this list. And they are the first two number ones. Um, the first one is All I Want For Christmas Is You by Mariah Carey. And the second one is Mood by 24K Golden and Ian Dior. And I apologize if I'm saying their names wrong. They seem very Gen Z to me. So I don't know if I'm in the loop with what their stage names are. But the reason why we're not going to be ranking them is because All I Want For Christmas Is You originally peaked at number one in 2019 and Mood originally peaked at number one in 2020. So we feel like those songs belong to those years. So if we ever were to rank those years, we would include those songs then. But for this list, we are only uh, counting songs that uh, peaked for the first time at number one in 2021. So those, those first two covered us for the first three weeks in January. So starting January 23rd for eight weeks, then we had Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. This was her debut single from her album, Sour. Then in March 20th, for one week, Driver's License was dethroned by What's Next by Drake. Um, and that was for one of his um, LPs that, um, or EPs that he dropped yeah. before. So it was a collection of like three singles, I believe. It wasn't yeah, on it was his newest album. I don't yeah, care. it was just a, a little like teaser. What's next? You know, teaser. What's next for the album? And that was actually the first time that any artist debuted the number one, two, and three song. So, um, Wants and Needs and Lemon Pepper Freestyle also debuted at numbers two and three that week. So that was the first time that had happened as a debut, and it was only the third time in history that that had happened at all. Um, the first time was the Beatles in 1964, I believe several times they did that. And then um, Ariana Grande did it um, in 2019, where she had the top three spots for a week in February. So this was the third time that this had happened. Um, and then we have uh, after what's next one week at number one, the, set, the following week was Up by Cardi B, which was the first uh, time that a female rapper had had a second number one in which they were the only credit. So she had also hit number one with Bodak Yellow that only credited her. So this is the first time a female rapper had two number ones like this. And this was Cardi B's fifth number one overall, which extends her lead among female rappers. Um, and then after Up, then we had Peaches by Justin Bieber, Daniel Caesar and Javon for a week. 
Then we had, um, and that was the first number one for Daniel Caesar and Javon. And um, what number number one was that for Justin Bieber? I believe he's at eight now. No, that was his seventh number one. And he actually has eight number ones now. So number one, number seven for Justin Bieber, Peaches. Then Montero, Call Me By Your Name was number one for a week following that by Lil Nas X. That was Lil Nas X's uh, second number one uh, after his uh, record-breaking 19-week uh, Old Town Road leader in 2019. Um, and then we had, following that week, uh, one of two non-consecutive weeks at the top for Leave the Door Open, which is by Silk Sonic, which is the, the supergroup duo of Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack. Then we had two weeks at number one of Rap Star by Polo G. Then we had two weeks at number one of Save Your Tears by The Weeknd uh, featuring Ariana Grande. That was a remix that she hopped on. And uh, this was only the second time in Hot 100 history that um, an album produced a number one song in three separate years. The first was a Janet Jackson album. Uh, I believe that was Control, but it might've been Janet. I might be getting this mixed up. But After Hours by The Weeknd produced a number one song in 2019, 2020, and then 2021. That was a cool um, record. Then following that, uh, Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo. She's the first artist to have two number ones this year. Uh, spent a week at number one. And Good For You is the, uh, marks the first time that a debut album produced two uh, number one singles that debuted at number one. That was a, that's a cool chart fact for Olivia Rodrigo. And then after this first week at number one, Good For You spent um, 11 weeks at number two, which is tied for the record of most time spent at number two with uh, Exhale Shoop Shoop by Whitney Houston. And that also interestingly debuted at number one for one week and then spent the following 11 at number two. Uh, and then we have the year's longest reigning number one song, Butter by uh, the Korean group uh, BTS. That was number one for 10 weeks. And it was interrupted um, the week of July 24th by another BTS song, Permission to Dance, making them uh, one of joining an elite club of artists that have replaced themselves at number one. I don't know the exact number, but it's not particularly common. Um, I think the most recent time that it happened was when Justin Bieber replaced himself at number one, um, when I'm the one, his DJ Khaled feature song uh, preceded Despacito, uh, the song Justin Bieber was featured on. Um, and then we have the first uh, four of seven weeks at number one for Stay, which is by the Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber. So this is Justin Bieber's eighth number one and the Kid Leroy's first. Um, this would be number one for a total of seven weeks to date, um, interspersed with a couple more weeks here and there. One of which belongs to Way Too Sexy by Drake featuring Future and Young Thug. Um, this uh, was the first time um, in chart history that someone debuted nine songs uh, in the top 10, much less being by the same artist. So this is the first time in chart history that the entire top five and nine of the top 10 were credited to the same lead artist in Drake. And this is of course the week that he dropped Certified Lover Boy. Um, and then we have um, the next number one is My Universe, which is a collaboration between Coldplay and BTS. Um, and this is Coldplay's first number one 
since uh, Viva La Vida from 2008. So a nice gap for Coldplay. And then this is BTS's sixth number one song. And then we had Industry Baby, which is a collaboration between Lil Nas X and Jack Harlow. That was number one for one week in October. That's Lil Nas X's third number one and Jack Harlow's first. And then we had the first four of seven total to date weeks of Easy On Me by Adele. And this is her uh, fifth number one song and the first since Hello in 2015. And then our final new number one of the year was um, Taylor Swift's uh, 10 minute version of All Too Well, her re-recorded uh, song for her Red album. And uh, this is uh, to date the longest uh, Billboard Hot 100 number one song. I believe it's credited with 10 minutes and 14 seconds, which beat the record of American Pie which was in the eight minute, 30 second range. So by a considerable margin. So yeah, that's just kind of the overview of some of the hits and some of the notable um, happenings in the world of music. And um, I am excited to dive into what my thoughts are on this crop of songs. Blake, anything to add there? Uh, not really. I feel like you just gave us a wonderfully in-depth a summation of uh 2021 according to the billboard charts so i'm i'm right there with you i'm ready to dive in and just go through from our least favorites to our absolute favorites of this year yeah i think sort of painting with the broader brush first i do think it's really notable with this list of songs mm -hmm. the way that the music landscape is shifting oh yeah because like, first of all, I mean, it is just, it didn't used to be very common for a song to debut at number one. And then there, it got to a point where there was usually like one, maybe two a year. And then 2020, and I think with just streaming becoming more and more dominant in music tracking and how this stuff is calculated, 2020 had like a record breaking, like 10 debut songs at number one. And what we're noticing just broadly is that like songs are either having like blip impact where they like arrive at number one and are like super strong and blow everything out of the water by a lot of metrics. And then they just vanish the next week or there's this huge drop off and lack of interest. And then the other side of the story is we're seeing like longevity records being smashed and like blinding lights and levitating, like becoming the longest charting songs in the top 10 in history. And so like the mega hits are getting bigger than, you know, hits of the past. And this more lower tier hits are like literally blips on the radar. And I think tying that into this list of songs, some of these songs I think are gonna be iconic like 10 years from now, like we are gonna remember some of these moments. And like, I already, like some of these songs from like March and April, like I completely forgot about them. Like it was, it was like a surprise to see that like, oh yeah, that was a week. Um, so yeah, I feel like the, there's, these are not like middling, like either they're really massive hits or they're like, I don't remember this at all. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree with all those points that you put out. And I think that was an interesting, I think is why well, I think particularly interesting as well, 
especially revisiting kind of the months of like March, April, May, is that this was a, honestly the first time, like, at least for me, hearing a lot of these songs. Like, I feel like I'd heard about 75% of them either in passing uh, or, you know, I listened to them on my own, but there is at least four or five songs that, you know, some of them charted for multiple weeks, some of them only charted for one week, but they, that I just had not heard before. So this was an interesting mix of songs that I had familiarity with and others I did not. And so, yeah, yes. no, some of these songs, it's like, I, I think, I mean, I definitely pay attention to the charts more than the average person, I would say. So like, I was familiar with at least the title of these songs, but like some of them I had not heard. And like, I mean, I think TikTok is definitely something we're going to talk about too. Like, oh yes. I think like a lot of these songs that I, that like weren't necessarily songs I would have heard for were it not for TikTok, like a ton of these songs really had moments on TikTok this year. And I feel like for the ones that didn't have TikTok moments this year, I was like, what is this? Like, <laughs> I have never heard this. I've never heard, you know, not like I've been going out a whole ton given this pandemic situation, but like, I haven't heard it out and about. I, I don't have friends that are like, have you heard this song? Like, I, yeah, it's, there, there's a lot of songs in here that like, I think even like now, but like next year, if someone were to look at this list, they'd be like, I don't, what's next by Drake? Like, what is that song? I've never heard it. Mm -hmm. I will also say before we dive into the ranking, mm -hmm. um, something very interesting happened this year that has only happened, I believe, two other times in chart history where um the number one song for all of 2021 so at the end of the year billboard does a year-end chart that is you know a, a chart that exemplifies the year in music and says okay these are the 100 best songs for the whole year um the number one song on that chart was levitating by dua lipa which um only peaked at number two and this is the third time that a song that didn't top any of the weekly charts for the year ended up being the year's number one song. The reason for this being Levitating peaked at number two, but it also spent um, a, a record 41 weeks in the charts top 10. It entered in January and was still hanging on to the top 10 deep into, I believe, October. I don't remember the exact dates, um, but um, that is a record for a song with a female as a lead vocalist. Um, Blinding Lights by The Weeknd has only spent more time at 57 weeks. So um, yeah, congratulations to Levitating. Um, one thing that is very irritating to me is that um, Levitating peaked at number two on the week of May 22nd. And that is the week that Leave the Door Open um, by Silk Sonic spent its second week at number one. And I just am kind of like, couldn't they have just given that to Levitating? Like mm -hmm. they still would get the number one, but whatever. Dua Lipa also I feel bad for because last year she had Don't Start Now, which peaked at number two and was like the number four song for the overall year. So she's getting very close on the charts, but hasn't quite made the push for her first number one. But anyway, congrats to Levitating, which is the overall number one of 2021. Blake and I have no idea how either of us has ranked these songs. So we're going to mix up our format a little and we're just going to go from worst to first and reveal to each other in real time what our rankings were. And 
a fight may start, chaos mm-hmm. may ensue. We may have to, mm-hmm. we may have to go back into 2021 with all the conflicts that we're going to create here. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Anything could happen. Anything could happen. But I'm entering it with an open mind, open heart. Yes, and... I'm ready to tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm prepared. I'm prepared. Whatever you got, throw at me. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so the 17th best number one song of 2021, I put Way Too Sexy by Drake featuring Future and Young Thug. And for my number 17 pick, I put another Drake track, What's Next? Interesting. Okay, so... Yeah, so interestingly, this song is the third number one song to interpolate um, I'm Too Sexy mm-hmm. by Right Said Fred, the first being I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred, hit number one in 1991. This song also hit number one in 2017 because yeah. uh, Taylor Swift interpolates this song's melody into the chorus of Look What You Made Me Do. So this is the third iteration of this song hitting number one. Um, and I, the thing that irritates me the most about it is we think about Drake, who's like one of the most iconic hook singers of our generation. Like Drake can nail a hook, like Hotline Bling, Hold On, We're Going Home. Even like, we're looking like God's plan. Drake outsources the hook on his own song to Future. Like Future sings more of this than Drake does. This is Future's first number one and he's, tried many times to get that you know so congrats to him i'm glad he got this cross off this is young thug's third number one after being featured on havana by camila cabello and um what's the other one franchise by travis scott which is another (laughs) blink and you'll miss it number one from last year um but yeah i just feel like the chemistry is off and it's like drake is just barely trying and i know and like i get it it's like Drake has already conquered the music industry and continued it. Like this week was when he had nine out of 10 top 10 songs. So it's hard to be like, oh yeah, Drake is really shitty. Like he's doing well for himself. It's just, this feels really lazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess I will be talking about what's next. And so just with this song, I just found it unbelievably just boring granted I'm not a particularly big Drake fan I feel like his strongest songs are like his love songs like find your love like I enjoy some of his stuff from like the early 2010s like even some stuff on Scorpion like nice for what I liked so I I think he does have some solid hits but at least for what's next I feel like it completely and utterly failed and that it did not make me want to in any way possess any form of excitement or even really care about what's next for Drake (laughs) and his career. And knowing we got later this year, we got to see what was next. And it was Certified Lover Boy, which granted I did not listen to beyond Way Too Sexy, but it just felt like this, he was just repeating the same flex for three minutes straight. And I was just bored out of my skull. It was number one for one week. And it's just, there was absolutely nothing about it that brought me enough production, not even what Drake was flexing. It just, you know, I have sex, I work out, yada, yada, yada. It's just, there was absolutely nothing whatsoever 
that brought me into this song that made me even the tiniest bit curious about, again, what's next for Drake. So I feel like with its overall message statement, I feel like it just failed. It failed. <laughs> and as a song, it failed. Yeah, well, and I do. It's interesting we both put a Drake song as the worst because you you think about Drake like being really dominant in the industry, but I do feel like even though he like had record breaking moments this year, I mean, each of these two weeks at number one that he had were historic weeks at number one, but like, do we feel like he's slipping? Like, do we think the next album, like his, this voracious appetite for this stuff will be maintained because the reality is, I mean, Drake's on top right now. It's impossible for him to be on top forever. You know, like he's going to slip at some point or just, you know, either he'll pull a Rihanna and like stop making music altogether or, you know, like he'll get bored with it or the world will get bored with him. And I'm just wondering, like, is that going to happen soon? Or do we have another like five years of Drake dominance or 10 or, you know, like, I don't know like what else he can pull out of his hat. Like, I feel like mm -hmm. we've seen a lot of the like tricks that he has, you know, it's like, I remember one dance like that came out. And at that time I was like, oh, this is Drake, but this is new. This is interesting. And like, I, we both have these songs up on our list, but like, I don't feel like either of these songs is anything new for Drake. Yeah absolutely absolutely there's just absolutely just nothing special nothing that made me want to give any sort of attention to drake's releases this year whether it be that smaller uh release of singles or whether it be certified lover boy just no i was thoroughly uninterested <laughs> with <laughs> what drake put out this year Amazing. Well, I will get more into my what's next thoughts when it comes up on my ranking. But um, yeah, Way Too Sexy is my I don't ever need to hear that song again. It's not that good. And if you really need to hear it, then listen to the original, because that mm -hmm. at least has like an ironic charm. Um, <laughs> instead of like Taylor Swift's diss track or like Drake being um, annoying for <laughs> three minutes. Okay, what's your number 16 song, Blake? Uh, my number 16 is uh, Way Too Sexy. Okay. <laughs> so that's, a, that's why I kind of held off on talking about it because I knew I was going to talk about it right now. But again, I completely agree with all of your thoughts. Again, it's so fucking boring. I feel like with both of these songs that Drake put out this year, just so dull. I feel like... I, the only reason why I put Way Too Sexy higher than What's Next is because if you ask me to recollect anything about these two songs five years from now, I would probably be able to recognize or at least remember Way Too Sexy because of the Right Said Fred sample. I feel like that's the only thing it has going for it. But unfortunately, it wastes it. It doesn't really play into the campiness of that original track at all. And again... It just feels like kind of every other iteration of the get money kind of fuck bitches, I'm sexier than everybody else anthem that Drake has done so many times before. And, you know, he's not really on the chorus here. It's he mainly hands it off to Future, which I, I like Future, but I just feel like 
there's I feel like young thug didn't like sound like himself like he sounded out of sorts to me like I really like young thug but he I just didn't feel like he brought what I would expect young thug to bring I can't remember a single line of his like (laughs) exactly I can't remember any any part of his verse and usually I feel like I I don't pay a lot of attention to young thug but like at least from the songs where he's had guest verses, like I think a really good example is like Goodbyes by Post Malone. I really like his guest verse on that song. But here I like I am trying to rack my brain to even remember a single word he said in his verse and I can't do it. I cannot do it. There is just nothing to either of these two songs and that it just really with Way Too Sexy, it just feels like a wasted opportunity. I feel like they could have made it work that they kind of if they on it I kind of wish they kind of went full kind of the comedy route with it like they kind of went like uh Cardi B and Megan the Stallion with WAP but in kind of playing into that campiness and finding the comedy in it but they don't they don't yeah no if you're comparing this to WAP like it's sad like yeah. no 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 mm-hmm. boys <laughs> please don't mm-hmm. yeah I agree with you Okay, my number 16 was Permission to Dance um, by BTS. I'm sorry. I just found this to be really manufactured and generic. Like, I just, yes, there was like a, maybe like a couple seconds where I was like tapping my foot like, oh, this bops. And then immediately, like, I don't know what it sounds like right now. Like, I, it just is forgettable and like, it feels like something that was designed to be a hit and it was congratulations it was yeah it was basically a blip on the radar it was number one for a week it was out of the top 10 in less than a month like it just kind of just is limp for me fair enough fair enough okay blake what is your number 15 song uh so my number 15 is up by cardi b it is up by Cardi B. And usually I, I like a lot of Cardi B's music. I was a big fan. I, she hasn't released like a full length project since Invasion of Privacy in 2018, but I really enjoyed, I like it. I really enjoyed Bodak Yellow when it was popular. There are a lot of deep cuts on that album that I really enjoy. And I feel like she has like, again, her vocal performance here is solid. But that chorus, if we had to give an award for the most annoying chorus of the year, <laughs> this takes it hands down. See, I, I kind of, I don't know, I'll save most of my up thoughts for when I have it in my ranking. I was looking it up and the if it's up, then it's stuck is like Atlanta slang. And it does make more sense then it just sounds originally. Oh, that's all I'll say, but okay. I hear you. It is kind of annoying. Yes, I assumed that there was some sort of deeper meaning to it, but just the way that she says it, just the, then it's up, then it's up, then it's up, then it's stuck. It's just, so, it's just grating. It's just grating. And it felt like a demo to me. It didn't really, it felt like she just kind of went into the studio and she freestyled and there was some good stuff there and some of it comes together, but a lot of it, I feel like it really doesn't. Uh, One line that really stood out to me though is she describes a girl as having breath that smells like horse sex. Uh, 
I which did is, enjoy that. Which is one of the most creative lines. I've I don't I don't know if it's brilliant or terrible. I'm still on the fence deciding between the two, but I feel like it didn't I didn't hate it, I did, but it just that that chorus, that chorus I feel like kind of erodes any desire for me to kind of continually want to revisit the song or really just enjoy it. Fair enough. My number 15 was Butter, which again, I I thought it was fun, I guess. I just felt like the production was confused about like what song it was trying to be. It like switched it up too many times to the point where I, I felt like sonically it had a bit of an identity crisis. And like it, I think that it's a hard thing to figure out how to give seven different people like enough of a time to shine. And I don't know that I felt like I felt like in trying to utilize everyone, it it just sort of like continued to worsen the identity crisis problem. Like it just felt like a very confused sort of song. And yeah, like I definitely like, I'm not super into K-pop. So I think like, I'm not like, I don't have the curated ear of like what is good and bad within the genre. But I just, yeah, like I, I remember like Dynamite last year, like that feels like a very realized song to me. And like, there's a good moment and there's like just kind of full production. Like it was like, yeah, like I, I fuck with this, like BTS, let's go. And here I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll sit this one out, but I'm glad that you guys are having fun. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so my number 14 is Stay by uh, the Kid Leroy feat Justin Bieber. And this one's tough because if it were just the part that's like on TikTok, then I would feel very differently about the song, like the ah, uh, like, the kind of like, you know, fun beat that like just surges forward. But like the whole song feels very like rushed to me. Like I feel like it could take its time a little bit more. And then they mix up the like tempo in the chorus, like in the second chorus. So you don't get like as much of the like what you're coming to the song for, which is the first chorus. And instead, it's like, it just, it feels like they're trying to do too much. Like, it needs some of that, like, understated refinement, which, like, I think a lot of Justin Bieber's, like, Purpose Era songs had a really good balance of, and he's sort of been chasing that, where, like, Sorry had, like, the right amount of restraint and, like, Love Yourself had the right amount of restraint. What do you mean had the right amount of restraint? Like stay doesn't have any restraint. And so it just kind of feels like one note. And then lyrically, like I actually find it really toxic. Like it gives me the like, you can't leave. Like I know I'm never gonna change and I'm never gonna get better. Um, but like, 
no, you have to stay. Like, I just need you. Like, it didn't seem healthy, which again, like probably some of the other songs I've put higher up are also not healthy, but like that just, there was also something like toxic about it that makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I will reveal my full thoughts on stay uh, later on, but I just as a little preview, I do agree a lot with what you said. And so going into my number 14, we have My Universe uh, by Coldplay and BTS. And yeah, I thought there was some fun production here. Uh, It feels like I, I did not listen to Coldplay's new album this year, but I looked at the track list and was honestly very intrigued by the list of collaborators that they had on there. Like they had BTS, they had her, they had Selena Gomez. Like it was a very, (laughs) it was a very interesting lineup. Again, I may actually go back and listen to the full uh, project just because I am kind of curious, but at least for this song, I didn't feel like there was anything particularly special about it. I feel like for a BTS and Coldplay collaboration, I felt like it played it very safe that chorus, the you are my universe, is just very, very, very basic. And it just, there wasn't a whole lot that really grabbed me. I liked that they, a lot of BTS's verses are in Korean. I thought that was cool that they let them, that they didn't force them to rap in English, that they allowed them to rap in Korean and they kept it and that this was able to get to number one. I thought that was really cool. But overall, just felt like incredibly basic chorus. And again, one of my biggest pet peeves in music where it has just like an extended period of just musical or just like instrumental dead space. And this song has over 40 seconds of it at its end. And I feel like, again, it's not, it's not offensive. It's not, I don't even say it's necessarily bad, but I feel like there could have been more interesting things done with a BTS and Coldplay collaboration. And so I feel like there's just a lot of, untapped potential here if I had to boil it down well this is a perfect segue because my number 13 is all my universe um but I do think it's interesting it is now my favorite BTS number one is your least favorite so I'm I'm curious how far up the list the other two go Mm -hmm. um but yeah I actually liked this one the best of the BTS ones which again like I BTS is not an act that I'm super familiar with so I there might be things that I was just like missing I will say in general I very much enjoyed what they bring to the table like I understand why they're very popular and I do feel bad putting all of their number ones in my bottom section of this list but I felt like my universe, my favorite part about it was that they were actually singing in Korean um, because I do think like like Dynamite and Butter and Person to Dance like have some like, like in English, they like don't necessarily like make sense and have like some weird moments. And like, I just, I wish that I could enjoy this act like in Korean because I feel like that would, like I would have more like, um, like I would just be able to appreciate them in a way that I can't because I can't speak Korean. So um, yeah, I I felt like, yes, it was very safe, but it did also kind of feel like, but this is what you're looking for from like a Coldplay, like BTS collab, like just it's anthemic, it's big, it, it has big feelings. Like I think it would be a really cool song to like 
see live if you were at either one of their shows. Um, and I honestly, like, yeah, it was like a blip on the radar. It was like one and gone the next week. Like, you know, it wasn't a significant hit. It's not one you hear a lot, but it's one I wouldn't mind hearing more. Like, I, it was one of the ones that, like, I think is going to be lost with time, but it's going to be like a nice revisit when people do come across it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, I, I agree with a lot of that. I agree with a lot of that. And I feel luckily enough, uh, our, both our 13 and our 14s were switched because my number 13 is stay. Okay. And yeah. So I thought that's fun. I like that. And yeah, I am not super familiar with the kid Leroy's music outside of his two big hits this year. I know stay was his number one. He had another one that was like the watch you go, go. Yeah, like, I think it's called I Without You. Without You, yes, that's what it was. And I thought it was, I thought Stay was fine. I don't think it was particularly great, but I feel like the, I'll be fucked up. Like, it's a very much kind of an earworm hook. And I think for 30 seconds on TikTok, which is where I feel like I had the most interaction with this song this year, like it works. And I feel like by the it time- It works really well as a yes. TikTok. Like, it makes a ton of sense to me why it mm -hmm. was. Like, it was- it's less so now, but like, I'm telling you, like a month ago, it was like every TikTok had this song in it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I feel like that's kind of it's this song's biggest strength is that I feel like it's its biggest strength and its weakness is that it, I think its biggest weakness is that it's just kind of repetitive as fuck. But its biggest strength is that it doesn't linger, is that it just kind of gets in and it gets out. And so by the time you kind of get tired of it, it's already over. <laughs> and so I am, I don't know. And I like. I like the Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber together. I think they make a pretty solid dynamic duo. I like, I think his, at well, least- Well, that was, I did think that was cute. I yeah. felt like there was sort of a symbolic, like passing of the torch thing. Yes, where, I appreciated like, that. Yeah, and also I think they sound so similar, like on the vocal production side. Like, I don't know, does Bieber take the like, uh, like whole like chorus part or is that the Kid Leroy the whole time? I think it's him the whole time. Okay, because I, I feel like I there's parts where I hear Justin Bieber and parts where like, like they sound really similar to me. So like mm -hmm. even if the Kid Leroy's music is really different from Justin Bieber's, like he's definitely borrowing something from the guy. Yeah, I feel like he's like borrowing a lot from not only Justin Bieber but also Juice World because I recently found out mm -hmm. that the Kid Leroy was like Juice World's protege before he passed. And so I thought that was interesting and that kind of, and once I figured that out, I feel like that put the song a little bit more into perspective for me and yeah. who the Kid Leroy is maybe he's trying to be as an artist. Cause this kind of reminded me of Lucid Dreams by Juice World, And with that toxicity that you were talking about, like very much so when I heard this, I was like- Which there's some other songs on here that I'm like, ooh, these are some toxic messages. Mm-hmm. So Blake, what is your number 12? Uh, my number 12 is Permission to Dance by BTS. And so I feel like I have a little bit more familiarity with BTS than you do. I don't, I don't really listen to them that much, but I know lots of people and have lots of friends who love them. I know people who have flown out to New York, LA, spent hundreds of dollars on tickets and hotels to see them in concert and people who have, who genuinely just love their music and everything that they do. 
And at least with permission to dance, I completely agree that it is absolutely nothing groundbreaking from an artistic standpoint whatsoever. But I feel like at least not only in this song, but sort of what I feel like is allows me to kind of give BTS a pass is that I feel like in their music, while it may not gel together perfectly, I go back to you thinking about Butter kind of sounding a little bit kind of sonically confused is that I feel like they really have kind of that classic like boy band, that sincerity and that charm. And it seems like they genuinely want to be making music, which I feel- Which is more than a lot of boy band members. (laughs) Yes. So I feel like that's how I'm able to kind of, that's where I feel like I can connect with it is that even though that lyrically it's not really, they're not super strong. But I feel like there's, again, that sincerity, there's an energy to it that I find really infectious. You know, it's, again, I don't think, for even like a year from now, I'm probably not going to remember much of this song, but put it on for three minutes and I'm, I'm perfectly content listening to it. I, I enjoy it and I'm, my thoughts are almost the exact same for Butter. I almost kind of view them as companion songs. I think it's interesting that they kind of eclipsed each other in their placement on the Hot yeah, 100 I mean, this they year. they really were. And what was interesting too, is that like the week that Permission to Dance peaked at number one, Butter fell to number seven. And then the following week when Butter returned to number one, Permission to Dance fell to number seven. And so they like, yeah, it was like, they weirdly were just the same song in the same moment. They just sort of like- wow. Interesting, oh my God, that's so places cool. for a second. It was, yeah, it was an interesting chart thing. Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with Permission to Dance. I just, I think, and again, I was saying this, like, I feel like there's going to be titans of this year that, like, you would look back at this list of songs in 10 years and be like, oh my gosh, that song, a defining song of the 2020s, you know, of the music landscape. And then there's going to be other songs that people are going to be like, I've never heard this. And I just, like, Permission to Dance is destined to be one of those songs. Like, if people are going to remember a song, a BTS song from this year, it's going to be Butter, I think. Like that at least, you know, had more staying power than permission to dance. But yeah, like I just, I think it'll get lost to time, but a fun moment while it lasted. (laughs) My number 12, which is also a song that I feel like will have a similar fate. um, My number 12 is Up. So I love Cardi B. Like I think she's absolutely fantastic in every way. And I I like the song more than you did, Blake, for sure. Um, I... I, yeah, I definitely looked up the lyrics and I think there's some stuff in there that like, is just not like my cadence or like something I understand, but like, I appreciate what she's trying to say. Like, if it's up, then it's stuck. She's basically just like, here I am and I'm a problem for you because like, like, look at me, I'm the shit. And like, again, I, I think it's a bit of a repetitive message from her, but also like how many guys that are rappers have this song over and over and over again. It felt like, I felt like a follow-up to WAP was always gonna be like risky and like probably not something that was gonna be as successful as WAP. And so I think Up just got it out of the way and like it still had enough like energy and pep and just that attitude that, you know, you love from Cardi B. So I do think it held its own as a WAP follow-up and like sort of acted as a palate cleanser to where now I feel like WAP is less of a shadow over what she does next. Um, And 
yeah, like I just, I loved the music video. Like it had so much attitude and it was just like so fashion forward. And like Cardi B's just really that bitch. Like she's just on fire. I also just celebrate the history of it. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm loving that Cardi B has five number ones in her. I hope she has five more. Like, let's get it. Like <laughs> go Cardi B. So yeah, I, I enjoyed this moment. But all that to say, like, this is not going to be a defining Cardi B song, I think, long term in her catalog. And I I think it isn't, it just doesn't grab you the way that like WAP or Bodak Yellow or like, I like it, grab you. So yeah, Up was, Up had a nice moment, but like, yeah, I, I think she has more to offer than this. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And so for my number 11, uh, we have Butter by uh, BTS. And I feel like a lot of my thoughts that apply to Permission to Dance also apply to Butter. I feel like they're very much kind of companion songs in the sense, but this was honestly kind of a pleasant surprise for me. I, of course, I saw that it was number one on Billboard, that it was trending everywhere. I hadn't actually listened to it until doing this deep dive. So I feel like it was fun to be able to kind of see what the hype was all about. And I agree with you that it does sonically feel a little bit confused, but what it really kind of resonated with me was the energy, but also the ambition of it all. I feel like they, BTS kind of just threw everything at the wall and not everything stuck, but I appreciate them for trying. And again, I think they're having a lot of fun with it. And then clearly their music is resonating in a very large capacity. And it kind of reminded me of 24 Karat Magic by Bruno Mars with its production in a lot of ways, which I thought was interesting because I feel like that song, that song was already, I feel like Bruno Mars has just been a huge influence on popular music within the past 15 years. But it's so interesting that, having 24 Karat Magic kind of be like his most latest project and seeing how its influence is kind of already starting to see its way into the current crop of pop music. But yeah, I, I it was my favorite uh, BTS track of the year. I can see why it charted for as long as it did. It has a great energy to it. Again, I don't think everything about it works. It does feel a little bit overambitious at times and it has a lot of moving parts which I assume, which I can only imagine having, I believe there's seven members of BTS. I, again, don't quote me on that. I'm not a BTS expert, but I feel like- Yeah, there's seven. Okay, oh, I was right. But I feel like this was a really valiant effort to try to showcase all of their talents. Cause I know like one of them's named like, like G-Men is like the really soulful one. Like they all kind of have their own thing that they do. One of them, one of their stage name is like RM, like in which is short for rap monster, I've been told. And like he does all of like the rap verses in their songs. So I feel like it was an attempt to try to include all of them. And does it work perfectly? No, but I appreciate the ambition of it all. And I think it's a fun track. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, my number 11 was Rap Star by Polo G. Um, I... I liked it. I thought it was like good. It was clean. And I, there's a reason, like I put it near up and um, what's next too, which I haven't gotten to yet. But like, um, I feel like there's something that's like coming through where it's like a clean, solid track. It just wasn't like, 
there wasn't a whole ton of like X factor. Like I think ultimately I've heard rap star before, you know, like the sentiment of like, you know, being a badass, but also like, ooh, this fame life isn't all that it's meant to be. Like, I don't know. I feel like that identity crisis has been explored a lot. And so like, I just, I felt like it wasn't the most original premise, but like it was really, the delivery was solid and I, I liked it. I understood why it was, number one but I feel like it's like feeding the engine more rather than like taking um any any like the rap genre or just like music to like a new level like it just felt like a very like okay this is this is a baseline number one and I I think I would argue that like all the 10 songs they put above it like they had some sort of industry shifting upside that, you know, when it's like, this is the competition of the best of the best songs, there's going to be some that just rank lower. But, you know, I like Rap Star a lot. It's a good track. It's a good track. And so for my number 10, and I feel like this might be a slightly controversial opinion, but my number 10 is going to be the Save Your Tears remix by The Weeknd featuring Ariana Grande which I feel like I should preface this by saying I absolutely loved the original version of Save Your Tears by The Weeknd. It was one of my top songs of 2021 on my Spotify wrapped. It's easily my favorite song off after hours from what I've heard. And so when I first heard that, you know, The Weeknd and Ariana, who have teamed up multiple times throughout their career, uh, loved me harder uh off the table from positions uh which both Quinn and I were very big fans of like they are a match made in heaven and I feel like when I first heard that this was actually going to come out I was so excited for it but actually hearing it it kind of was this moment where I realized what I really love so much or what I feel like what resonated with me so deeply about the original version of Save Your Tears is that it's very much a kind of a narrative based song of this character that Abel is playing and you know this kind of this like disenfranchised disaffected guy who's letting this girl go and I feel like in the original version there's this distance and this detachment from it that it's a especially with this kind of very eerie production and the sense is that there's just this sadness to it that's really 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 striking and I feel like that detachment is really kind of what's made it kind of stick with me and kind of haunt me in a way And so I think it's so interesting to give this female character who doesn't really have a voice in the original song, a voice through Ariana Grande. But I feel like with her having that voice, it also within them kind of having this back and forth dialogue, that sense of detachment I felt like was a bit removed. And that made me kind of realize that, oh, I kind of prefer the original a little bit more because I feel like thematically it works a bit better. Just I think in terms of just what personally resonated with me, that it was the original that just kind of it just had kind of that x factor but I did really appreciate this remix I think again Ari and Abel they're able to complement each other so so well and this is another hit for them I thoroughly enjoyed it but I think in terms of whether I'm going to go back to this remix or the original I think I'm going to go back to the original well, my number 10 was Leave the Door Open uh, by Silk Sonic, Bruno Mars, and Anderson Pack. And I, I, this song is beautiful. I think it's really good. 
Um, and I love, I love this idea, you know, sure. Like let's Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars together. That seems like a foolproof idea that I didn't really see coming. Um, and again, I think it's a testament to a strong year that I'm putting this song at number 10. Why did I put it at number 10? Is I just, I think Bruno Mars in particular, like in the pop sphere, because, you know, like Anderson Pack is really, is amazing, but like, he's not necessarily the pop Titan that Bruno Mars is like, Bruno Mars has been like a consistent performer since his debut in 2010. I mean, and it's just been consistent since then. Like we haven't really had more than like a year or so free of Bruno Mars. I mean, he's just been impacting um, the sphere um, in a really consistent way where it's like, he almost never like breaks over to being like so ubiquitous and so like I feel like there's more fervent like Ed Sheeran's like fans or Justin Bieber fans like Bruno Mars always seems to be like the, the second or third guy but not like the guy but you know he can just sort of like he's kept the engine going and like really delivered and yeah like for sure I hadn't even thought of the 24 karat magic like influence on butter but like yeah no you can hear his impact and influence everywhere so yeah, like, I love this evolution for him, but it also, it's just like, but it's him, like, you know, he's just, like, so clean and perfect, like, it's almost, like, it's not surprising anymore, because it's just, like, yeah, like, this is a cool project that he's doing, and of course it has a number one song in there, because it's Bruno Mars, like, he's excellent, and yeah, just, no, it was smooth, it's a great song, I love it, it's just, like, I think that there's, like, kind of more special and exciting moments farther down like this is there's just something about this that's like yep it's a little bit safe yep fair enough fair enough fair enough i respect it i respect it and so uh my number nine is uh peaches by uh justin bieber daniel caesar and uh Giveon, which is it Giveon or javon i've heard it pronounced Giveon, or maybe okay i'm I could be wrong. I really like him either way. Yeah, I've been meaning to get into his stuff. And I have I am a big Daniel Caesar fan. So I was very happy that this got him his number one, his first number one. And yeah, I th- honestly think this is like one of, if not maybe my favorite Justin Bieber hit since like All That Matters, which was like off journals in 2014. I feel like maybe, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I'd have, I'd have to think about that. I'm Don't hold me to it. But I feel like just the, it's an absolute earworm of a chorus. I think one of my absolute favorite choruses of a year. Yes, it gets a little repetitive at times, but I feel like there's just such a smoothness to it and a funkiness to it that it just feel the production as well. It just feels fresh. It's clean. It's solid. It feels like a song that I should get tired of given how many times I've heard it, whether it be on TikTok, whether it be hearing it in Target or wherever else I've heard it throughout this year but honestly I surprisingly have not gotten tired of this song yet every time it comes on it's just it's very relaxing like it's just I feel very much kind of at peace when I hear this song yeah and so no this, that, that is true <laughs> so I, I feel like this was one of the like I feel like what kind of gave this the edge was kind of the surprise factor at how well it's kind of held out because this came out in like March of this year so I feel like this is one of the number ones that I've spent a decent amount of time with and yeah, one of my one of my favorite Bieber songs to come out in a long time. Oh, for sure. Um, well, okay, so we're gonna circle back to another conversation that started this uh, this off with. 
Um, my number nine is What's Next by Drake. Oh. Um, which I, you know, I sat with this. Like this, What's Next moved around on my rankings quite a bit. Um, and look, I agree with a lot of your critiques in terms of like, this is just like, this isn't going to be like a groundbreaking Drake song. Like, I don't think it is. Um, but I actually, like, I had a different response where like, I was actually a little bit interested with what was next. And then when it was way too sexy, I was like, oh, never mind. Like, <laughs> so I kind of had the, the reverse response of you, I guess. But what I liked about it is, I guess I didn't read it as much as like him bragging. And I read it more as him being like, I'm doing, I'm just a guy, like I'm doing the best I can. Like he seemed a little more bumbling in it in tone to me than he did like fully just like bragging about himself. So like, I felt like there was just a little bit of like character development that I related to. And given that like Drake is at the stature of like, he can release whatever he wants to and like good bet it's gonna go to number one. Um, it just, it seemed like an interesting kind of like yeah, like, you know, throw it in the back catalog of like, if you were to go see, you know, the Drake residency, you wouldn't necessarily expect this song to come up. But if he did decide to do it, you'd be like, oh, yeah, like this was kind of like a jam. So, yeah, like it just and it also felt I felt like stylistically like Drake was more in his element. Like I felt like he was he wanted it more with what's next than on Way Too Sexy. And like, I don't know, I, I like I like when rape, when rape, oops, that is a, what a terrible misspeak. I like when Drake um, does like kind of really go for the rapping because sometimes he's sort of like half raps and half croons. So yeah, again, I totally take your points, but yeah, I just, I, I, there was something intriguing about it that like, and also I think way too sexy let me down so much that I was like maybe looking for more good things in the other one. Yeah, no, that's completely fair. I I respect it. I respect it. And so let me pull up my number eight. And so my number eight is a rap star by Polo G, which I had not heard this song before doing this deep dive. I had seen the title and I had a kind of very vague notion of who Polo G is as an artist. And this song really surprised me. I really, I kind of expected it to kind of be in the same vein as, you know, like Post Malone rock star, or like the baby rock star, just kind of another, you know, braggadocious anthem. And it wasn't that at all. I think the production here is really unique. Like the main instrument, that's it, like it's a trap beat, but there's also a ukulele like in the background, which I thought was really interesting. And I, again, I was not expecting and I feel like there's a lot of really strong lyricism here. Again, I agree with you with in terms of it. Not, I don't think it's revolutionizing rap in any way, but I feel like as an introduction to Polo G as someone who has never heard his music, who had no idea really who he is at all, I feel like I learned a lot about him through this song. And there were some really interesting moments of lyricism on here. Uh, particularly the line where he says like shut the fuck up like he's meaning to say shut the fuck up but he says shut the fuck and then I mean please don't talk and so I thought that was really interesting as well I thought there was a lot of lyrical a lot of really nuanced lyrical moments that I was not necessarily anticipating from this and it made me intrigued and really want to go and learn more about who Polo G is as an artist so I feel like that surprise factor really kind of 
took me it took it took me a couple of listens to really kind of get into it but i feel like once it clicked with me it really clicked and so yeah i'm i'm excited to see what polo g does next but as my first introduction to him i was i was really impressed yeah no and i definitely i guess i feel like i agree with you and that i think like better is coming from him like i thought it was a really solid introduction but i'm like i'm kind of more like ooh, like i want to see what you do next Mm-hmm. yeah um my number eight might be controversial and this was a very last minute change so maybe just something fog brained mm-hmm. me my number eight is good for you by olivia rodrigo mm-hmm. um i really like this song it delivers one of the defining pop choruses of not just the last year but the last five years i think like that that's like talk about a pop chorus like that is iconic and um yeah, like like a damn sociopath. Like it just like has a perfect like meme moment in there. And um, yeah, it just has so much like attitude. Um, it's incredible. It's an amazing moment. Go Olivia Rodrigo. It also like very clearly and definitively stated that she would not be a one hit wonder. So don't even get that thought in your mind. Like before we had the chance to take a breath, she already delivered another hit. But like, the reason why I knocked it down a little bit is because it's actually super toxic. And like, she has a lot of young fans that like, this song is not a healthy song. Like, and I feel like as an older person, I can appreciate that it's just like, given to those emotions, like in song form, but like, you know, <laughs> this is like a fantasy mania. This is not like how we should be responding to things. And I'm worried <laughs> about like the message of this, of just like um, very spitefully <laughs> saying good for you about, you know, moving on and things like that. So like, I don't know, there was just something about it that felt like sort of like, whoo. And then like I, the music video I found very alarming, honestly. I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but like you're in high school, like it's not that serious, Olivia. Like I, let's talk this out, I'm yeah. with you. Yes, what I will say about the music video though is that the music video largely is paying homage to a lot of Olivia Rodrigo's kind of influences, both musically and also film-wise is that there's references to one of my favorite movies ever, uh, 2009's Jennifer's Body with Megan Fox. Uh, There's references to a horror film, particularly that's where like the black gloves come from. Uh, It's a Japanese horror film called Audition, which I have never heard or I've never seen before, but apparently it's the video is very referential. And so I feel like it's meant to be sort of paying homage to Olivia's influences, less so than being an actual representation of her life. Oh, or an okay. Actual high school that setting. is great to hear. I did not know about these references. Yeah, it's much more, refer- <laughs> it's much more referential. And I, there's a lot of great YouTube videos that are breaking down all the, there's <laughs> pop culture references like she referenced yeah, again Jennifer's body audition there's like some people who have like analyzed and be like oh there's references to like Lana Del Rey's like born to die album cover there's Taylor Swift references there's a lot happening so it's I it's very much a video I don't feel like it's meant to be taken literally <laughs> and very much it's more so just being like Olivia Rodrigo's it feels like kind of like her like mood board come to life and being like, these are the things that interest me and inspire me and influence me as an artist. 
And that's one of the things that I really love and admire about her is how she incorporates her artistic idols and influences into her work. And so I feel like that music video as someone who was very, very big on Olivia Rodrigo this year is that's a little, I feel like a little bit of an explanation. Well, yes, thank you very much for providing that context. I'm very glad that you're here. And again, <laughs> I really like Good For You. I think it's a great song. I've totally bopped to it. And yeah, like it's yeah, it's just like, it's a defining establishing moment for her that like it, it proved that like she had not only arrived, but that like she was here to stay. So yeah, I'm, this, it's a great song. Yeah, absolutely. And so going into my number seven is going to be uh, Industry Baby by uh, Lil Nas X and Jack Harlow, which I feel like the, like, honestly, this top 10, I feel like it was all super solid tracks, but I feel like kind of from like seven, from like Industry Baby downward, I feel like a lot of these could be really interchangeable where I feel like all of these tracks just from here on out are just fantastic in every regard and 2021 certainly was the year of Lil Nas X. I mean, what a, just what a year he's had. It feels like even in April with the release of Montero and the lawsuit with the Nike blood Satan shoes, it all feels like a lifetime ago, but just <laughs> what he's been able to do, the way that he has been able to just cement himself as, I honestly think he's a pop culture icon at this point that he is just constantly, he's able to just reshape and reinvent his image and his music has just been so engaging and interesting. And Industry Baby is not even my favorite track off of Montero, which was his debut album. But I feel like there was just so many, just a wide array of sounds that he provided in 2021. And this is a great one. I love the marching band kind of instrumental to it. I just love his bravado, his swagger, just his confidence that he's like, this is who I am. Like, I'm not just some one hit wonder. Like, I'm not fucking Old Town Road. Like, I'm Lil Nas X. I'm an artist. And this is him coming for his throne. And I, I loved it. I feel like the one thing for me is that I feel like Jack Harlow's verse kind of, it wasn't my favorite. I feel like Lil Nas, I feel like he doesn't really add that much to it for me. It feels like, especially with his kind of flow and delivery, it kind of slows down the momentum of the overall song a little bit. But overall, again, I was so impressed with everything Lil Nas X did this year and Industry Baby. It's just one of many examples of just, I think, his artistic genius and also just his understanding of marketing. I think it's just unparalleled how he is able to just continually just establish himself in the pop culture conversation is just incredible. Yeah, all good points. Um, my number seven is all too well Taylor's version. I hope that you're very proud of me about wow. how high I put this on my ranking. Yes, I'm surprised it's ended up this high. I am a huge Taylor Swift fan as everyone knows <laughs> actually no Tr truth be told i'm like not the world's biggest taylor swift fan so this was big i mm -hmm. took a, i took my, a, an inventory and i do think it is the seventh best um so all too well i have been aware that all too well has this um fan favorite 
status among like hardcore Taylor Swift fans. Um, it was a song that I, you know, like I don't really care for Taylor Swift all that much. She's not like an artist I seek out a ton, but I feel like I'd heard like all too well, at least like snippet by snippet over time, you know, it just had come up. And I remembered like not really thinking it was like, I didn't understand why that had was the track. And like, I do think Taylor Swift does have um, really um, potent capabilities as like a songwriter. Um, but like, that wasn't a song that like really grabbed me in any particular way, but I did know it was like a big fan favorite. And then, I mean, I think the bigger story here is um, just like the broader Taylor Swift reclaiming her discography by um, recording the songs again um, in such a way that like she stands to profit from her own work rather than not owning the masters of her songs and um, being exploited. Um, and again, like Taylor Swift is not um, the originator of this. This is a strategy that others have employed, but I think it's fair to say that no other artist has done so on such a massive scale as Taylor Swift has done. Um, and like this year, I mean, she, I think with Evermore surpassed Whitney Houston as like, she is the all time leader for a women on the Billboard 200, which is the album's chart. This year, 2021, she is the only, I believe only artist ever, much less female artist, to have three separate projects hit number one in the same year. Um, Cause she had um, Evermore spent some time at number one, uh, Fearless Taylor's version and Red Taylor's version have all hit number one this year. Um, so just, I mean, she's really in, in a league of her own in so many metrics in the music industry and the way that she has um, elevated this re-recording project is really, I mean, it's just a sight to behold and a testament to an artist who really understands both her own work and her fans and that has cultivated clearly a very um, loyal and commendable relationship with them. So, you know, this song hitting number one, you know, evaluating it just as a song itself is kind of impossible because in order for this song to have hit number one, it just means that it has to be a good song. It has to have a powerful pop engine behind it. And um, it just has to, you know, hit right at the right moment. And like, that's kind of like all these factors just swelled up into this becoming a number one song. And I would say deservedly so. I mean, she made this whole moment. She made like this 10 minute version that expanded upon the original and made the original less Disney-fied. And in spending more time with the lyrics, like, yeah, there's some really great like turns of phrase in here. Like, what is it that one line where you're like, I've trespassed across your mind or or when you double cross, cross. my mind. I think when you yeah. double cross my mind. Like, I was like, <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Like, you know, that was like, I. there were some turns of phrase that I found to be more appreciative of. And yeah, like she just kind of turned this into a whole moment. And it's like a really unprecedented, like there's no template for what she's doing with all of this. And she's navigating it very effortlessly and in a way that like she only probably could. So, you know, very impressed, even if it's like, I don't know, I'm not really a Taylor person. So this isn't like super for me, but it's a great moment. I think that's the nicest you've ever been to Taylor <laughs> Swift in the entire time that I know you. I think that's the <laughs> nicest you've ever been to her. And so that was very happy. I'm not a hater. <laughs> okay, alrighty. So my number six 
is Good For You by Miss Olivia Rodrigo. And boy, oh boy, what a year she had. Uh, I, of course, I had been following her prior to 2021. I first became aware of her as she is one of the leads of the Disney Plus series, High School Musical, the musical, the series, which as a big High School Musical, the High School Musical fan, uh, I watched the first season of it as it aired. I was super into it. And she performed a lot of her own original songs on that show. I don't think any of them are, are even near the quality of the material that she put out on her debut album, Sour, this year. But it made me really interested to see what she was going to do. And of course, I feel like I knew she was coming. I knew she was going to have her moment in the industry this year. But I feel like there is no way that I could have predicted she would have amounted to having this level of success in such a short amount of time. I think her, just her true, just explosion in popularity has been really incredible. And I think it's just a testament to her artistry that Good For You is one of my least favorite tracks on Sour. And it's still just, it's still this high in my ranking. It's still that good of a song. I feel like my one, my only kind of one critique of it is that I wish the instrumental kind of went a little harder. It kind of, I wish it kind of had that industrial edge to it that she has with tracks like Brutal, that with Deja Vu, which I wish Deja Vu had been a number one hit, that absolutely phenomenal, 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 phenomenal track. Love that one so much. Uh, but overall, I think, again, this is just an absolutely exceptional song in all regards. I, I feel like partially I'm biased because Olivia Rodrigo and I share a lot of similar artistic influences and things we enjoy. We're both big fans of Taylor Swift and Lord and Paramore, and she's able to interpret a lot of those influences. So I feel like this song was kind of very much just made for me, but she, I feel like she is able to take these kind of moments, uh, these universal moments of teenage melodrama and is able to just make these um, honestly kind of just breathtaking anthems out of them and even if they're not necessarily mature in subject matter or state of mind she is able to deliver incredibly mature performances in every single one of her songs and I feel like there is just such an emotional vulnerability that she has with every single song that she's released this year whether it was number one or not and I think that's truly what's just made me fall in love with her. It's just her emotionality, how much she truly just puts her whole heart into everything that she has done so far. And, you know, Sour, one of my absolute favorite records of this year. I am so excited to see where she goes next, but at least for 2021, a phenomenal, phenomenal year and a great song. Yeah. Yeah, no, she, I think vocally, and again, we can talk more about this with Driver's License too, like, She's really vocally gifted. And again, like in a way that's very unusual, like because she has this like kind of like light trill. And then as the SNL sketch about driver's license, a very mm -hmm. healthy belt. And like, <laughs> yeah, she like, she has such a softness, I think in sort of her more like relaxed, like verse singing that like the the power that she has when she is like kind of belting and going in on like a since you've been gone type chorus is like really striking. Mm -hmm. And so 
I'm curious, like, I think we've really seen her kind of deploy her voice in these very stark ways, um, at least early on in the career. I'd be curious to see as she gets older and maybe has um, more blending abilities or like capabilities, like what, you know, what a more what what those two things sound like unified together like i think that could be a really interesting sound and of course just further developing you know sort of the the light airy with with um the brassy belting like that i mean that's interesting in and of itself there's more places you could go yeah all that to say speaking of vocal quality and texture perfect segue to my number six which is the save your tears duet with the weekend ariana grande um and yeah, I totally take your perspective. I was, I'm a big Weekend fan. I thought After Hours was a great album. I don't remember being particularly drawn to Save Your Tears um, when I, you know, was sort of listening to it. Um, and again, that album has had such longevity that like, you know, it's been a while since like After Hours was an album that I played a lot, you know, like that was kind of like March, April, May, 2020 was sort of when I listened to it. So um, I don't, didn't have like as much of an emotional attachment to the original arrangement. And you're totally like right in terms of like, I agree with all of those things. Like, I think a bit of the premise is compromised by Ariana Grande showing up and like giving a voice to the woman and that thus kind of ruining the detachment that the weekend's character has in the song. But that to say, um, I actually read a lot of reviews about this song that like, oh, you know, The weekend Ariana Grande showed up and just did what they needed to do. And that was enough to get a number one, I guess, you know, fine, fine job, um, you know, and like just sort of said that they didn't, you know, push the boundaries and do anything artistically interesting. And like, she just kind of showed up and did her thing and it was all for clout and publicity. And again, I'm sure that plenty of that holds some truth to it but I found this to be like a really sort of visionary remix and like it did stick around and I think it did enhance the song and make it better. And like it, that became the, the version of the song that you would like hear on the radio and out and about and in the world. And like, I think that's cool that this song was not, you know, new, it was pretty, it had been around for a while. It was on the radio, everyone knew it. So like to develop, deliver on this newly developed version of this, I found really interesting. And I love that like, they didn't just hand Ariana a verse. Like they, they had her like enter the song, like replacing the weekends, like ahs in the background. Like that was really interesting to me. And I feel like they don't do that enough. And Ariana Grande has a voice that is really interesting to like, you know, place in all of these textured places to create the atmosphere. So I felt like, right away you hear her influence on the sonic world and then her verse is interesting i mean that is like a sultry um sort of like raspy lovelorn side of ariana grande that she's flirted with before but i felt like this was a really interesting new place for her voice to go and um i didn't really see how this song was like when i heard, heard she was going to be featured on this song i was like that's not really a song I would expect, you know, there's not like big, exciting vocal moments that she could sort of take on, but then she just went ahead and made her own out of, out of the song. And it was like, oh, like you really took it up there. And like, it, it just, I think she, it, she had the perfect little flourish on the song where she still gave the weekend his spotlight 
and allowed their chemistry to blend together. And on a song that she herself didn't write, like that's pretty impressive that like that, you know, her and The Weeknd and everyone involved was able to just like, you know, re recalibrate the song just enough that it, you know, delivered this like perfect new version that respected and honored the original, but like gave it just that little bit of elevation it needed to like, you know, hit number one and sort of reach the next plateau. And yeah, this song stuck around a lot in the year, you know, it just like, there was something like wistful and lovelorn about it. And yeah, I think it's really good. Yeah, same here. Even though that I prefer the original to the remix, I think it's still, and I still think it's fantastic really in its own right. And I think it did a lot of interesting things, even if it didn't resonate with me as deeply or as personally, I still applaud it and really commend it. And I'm very glad that it's still hit number one. I know Ariana did not have a major release this year, but I'm still glad that she was able to get on number one somehow. Yeah, no, she keeps the streak alive because she's now had one every year since 2018. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She can get number one in 2022, which I'm sure she easily could if she wanted to. Um, she can keep that momentum. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I also will say I really did enjoy the like animated music video of Save Your Tears. Like I thought that was like cool and visually interesting. And I also thought it like was a testament to like, wow, like we literally can see cartoon versions of Ariana Grande and The Weeknd and know exactly who they are and like maybe even five years ago, like they were big, but like, were they that big? Like, it's just yeah. like, it just was kind of like, I don't know, an appreciation of like, they've really like put themselves in, you know, kind of that like pop Titan category, you know, like it's, it's incredible to like watch the rise, you know, from just a couple of years ago and like, yeah, they were notable, but maybe not quite up there. Yeah, where they were in 2011 and where they are now, the weekend. Had, right. <laughs> yeah, he had House yeah. of Balloons and then Ariana Grande was still in Victorious. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, and I, I did see something that I didn't look into, but it was like Nickelodeon's failed attempts to make pop stars. And yes, it was like I've seen every that video. one of their failures except Ariana Grande. And I'm like, they didn't even want to make her the pop star. Like they were actively trying to like not give her a screen time. Yeah. So that like because she was that good but yeah yeah they want they wanted victoria justice and it didn't happen it didn't well we can all sing like yeah (laughs) okay (sighs) my number five is industry baby lil nas x jack harlow listen lil nas x is like it's his world and we're just living in it i love lil nas x he can pretty much do no wrong like if he did anything i would say it was perfect um I just love this like you were never really rooting for me anyway it's like so true it's like you Montero do not care about these people that are hating you because of who you are and what you stand for and if you're not this or to that like no 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 they were never whatever you did they were gonna have a problem with it so how about you just do you like it I don't know it just it it spoke to me this whole moment And yeah, like, I think Jack Harlow isn't totally necessary. And I go back and forth. I'm like appreciating that he's there as like the straight guy, like supporting the gay guy. And then also not appreciating that he's there because it's like, this isn't your moment, dude. Like, it's like weird. I'm not sure. Like, part of me thinks it's cool. And part of me is like, "Mm, I'm not sure. 
And yeah, I think he has some good one-liners in there though. Like, you know, like I can't even think of a good one because like I said it, I did. Yeah, like, I don't know. He has like a, he has some charisma. Like I get the Jack Harlow thing. Um, But yeah, I mean, just like Lil Nas X like breaking out and like being a, a queer black man and like putting that in into the fabric of what this song was and then also like attacking the prison industrial complex it's like ooh, you multifaceted like you're gonna come at multiple things you're gonna be everything and tell multiple stories and still find some way to make that like incredibly power like that that fuels your star power rather than hindering it and like it's also just so like beautiful to see like there's obviously been a lot of very famous queer male pop stars throughout time but often like during the height of their career like they're not necessarily like out or like if they are out it's like kind of kept as this more like low-key like "Mm, we're not going to touch that and like here Lil Nas X is like literally at the height of his commercial uh, prowess and he's, you know, playing some of these cards and they're like working and like, that's just, I don't know, it's really powerful and like cool to see. Um, and like, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't want to like speak for other people, but it's just like, it's like seeing him break ground that um, like other people haven't it's just like it's amazing and like one thing that was pointed out too like when Lil Nas X took the record of longest reigning number one song up with Old Town Road from Mariah Carey who uh, had to do it with uh Boys to Men One Sweet Day which had held the record since 1996 um that song was about people that both Mariah Carey and Boys to Men had lost in the AIDS epidemic and um it's a song about death And um, it's just like so cool that like a a black queer man who's like, that's a group of people that was disproportionately affected by the AIDS epidemic. um, Like that that's the person who took the record for like a song that was about, you know, the the pain of all of the loss of that time. Like it was just like a, a beautiful moment. And like, I just like, it continues to be like very heartwarming for me to watch it. So yeah, like this song, just like, I couldn't put it any lower than top five. Yep. I full send, full send absolutely all the way. And so for my number five, uh, we have the return of Adele with easy on me. Uh, if you happen to catch our deep dive of Adele's newest album, 30, uh, that we posted earlier this month, uh, definitely a classic Adele, but she she kills it, as always. The emotionality here is just unmatched. I feel and like... I gotta say, I, the longer I sit with 30, the more I like it. Like, mm-hmm. I've definitely liked it when we recorded the deep dive. But, like, yeah. it's, it's definitely... It's grown on me from then. Same sure. here. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, yeah, I feel like, again, that speaks to the testament of I, just how cohesive of an effort as 30 is, where Easy On Me was not even one of not even I think not even in my top three favorite tracks from that overall ranking itself but there's just such a tenderness there's such a vulnerability here again this is classic Adele but I think again she 
she stays in her lane and she's able to just deliver just these incredible ballads that have already with hits from her earlier discography, such as Hello, Rolling in the Deep, Set Fire to the Rain, When We Were Young, that she has been able, that these songs have stood the test of time. And I feel like this, the same thing is gonna be said about Easy On Me five, 10 years from now. I can easily see this being a staple song at karaoke bars. I can see this, I feel like from the second it was released, from the second that it was even announced, really, it was immediately going to cement itself as just a truly memorable, great ballad that is that when people are going to be looking back at these at this list of number ones five, 10 years from now, of course, they're going to be like, oh, yes, of course, Easy On Me is on here. And it was on the charts for as long as it did. And I think its longevity is completely earned. I feel like I don't even know what else I can really say about it at this point. It's just, it's great. All right. My number four is Peaches. Um, I just like, don't even know why, but I love Peaches. I think it's so, I like what you said, it's soothing. It's fun. I love that it like doesn't really make much of much sense, but it's just like playful and fun and just like you feels like you're just, you know, in a group of friends, you know, like there's just something so warm about it. Um, yeah, the the hook is amazing. You know, I get my peaches out in Georgia, da, da, da. like the call and response thing. It just like it draws you right into it. And yeah, these are all just like lines and immediately like like this song just like has an identity immediately and um i love i love how um rooted this is in um the stylings of r&b and like just some context justin bieber um is a big r&b fan and uh specifically made a changes his 2020 album um an r&b album and like explicitly stated that in you know the lead up to it in the press of it he's like yes this is my r&b album and then at the grammys he was nominated in the pop categories for for his album changes and um he was like he made a post about it that i really appreciated that was like hey thanks for this honor but like i this is not a pop album this is an r&b album and i made this very clear and like I don't really want this to be considered in the pop categories. And like, I think calling out the fact that these are really racialized categories that the Grammys are using. And then of course, like sort of on top of that, um, like in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder and just the subsequent, you know, that, that reckoning, national reckoning with race, like Justin Bieber had a statement and he was like, yeah, I fully acknowledge that like I've, basically appropriated blackness and, to, and it's benefited me like commercially in my career. And like, I need to be better and do better. And like a lot of celebrities came forward at that time um, with a lot of big promises that like, you know, I, I don't have like a fact check. I don't know how many did or didn't fulfill them, but like, it's not lost on me that like Justin Bieber is utilizing his massive platform and like working with two like very respected like both Daniel Caesar who's kind of like he's been in the game for a little while and is just like a super respected uh, wonderful musician and and Vivian who is like kind of the new up and comer that just like has this really amazing like 
realized presence and style. And yeah, like just the fact that like this is, you know, a song that is like a love letter to R&B, both like where it has been, where it is now and where it's going. And that there are like these other like incredible R&B artists um, that like Justin Bieber like is on there, you know, like they are now have a number one song. Like it just, I don't know, it makes me happy. So yeah, like this song, it's just like, it's just summer. It's it, it's the movement. Um, I have a playlist called Vitamin C where all the titles of the songs that start with fruit. And this song is of course on that playlist. So, you know, it's just, it's a good song. I love peaches. <laughs> all righty. And so uh, my number four is Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic. And so I feel like I had heard this song in passing throughout this year, or I had heard snippets of it. I had been meaning to listen to the full Silk Sonic project. I know it like dropped, I believe in November. So it's it's still pretty new, but I had been meaning to sit down and fully listen to it. But I of course started with Leave the Door Open. I know that was kind of the lead, was it the lead single for it? Yeah. Okay, yes, it was the lead single. So I figured it would be best to start with that. And Bruno Mars is always someone that I've really loved, but I feel like he never gets really incorporated into my daily rotation. And with kind of the gaps of time in between projects, he, you know, he takes his time when he releases music. And I feel like there's enough kind of, there's enough of a gap in between each project where I kind of not necessarily forget how much I like Bruno Mars or just how much I'm kind of won over by his charisma and his musical charm. But I feel like it just happens over and over and over again. You know, it happened with Unorthodox Jukebox in 2012 when he released 24 Karat Magic. The same thing happened again. And then I feel like it's happened again with Silk Sonic. With his, And I don't know a lot of Anderson Pox music, but he's someone that I've wanted to get into for a really long time. And hearing this song was just almost magical it's just so just very just exquisitely just kind of emotive and sensual and just honestly really delightful I feel like Bruno and Anderson play off of each other so well there's just such a tenderness and just a loveliness to it that just I love this song. I love this song. It was such a delight. And then I listened to it. And then I listened to all of an evening with Silk Sonic. And even at nine tracks, Bruno Mars is just able to really just pack so much in into such a compact kind of narrative and like stretch of time that it's just, ugh, I love it. And just, I, it's just, it's, I think it's just so interesting how he's able to, I have this familiarity with him, but he's still able to surprise me over and over and over again, that every couple of years, I get this really beautiful reminder of just how talented he is as a musician. And yep, I, I love this song. It's great. Yeah, it's really very good. I think the only reason why it ended up lower for me also was just like, it is a very referential Oh yeah. Sound. That's like fair. I didn't I didn't feel like yes it was nice to go back to that sound for a minute but we were returning somewhere. Like I didn't know if this project was going to be like that innovative for the industry moving forward, but that's okay. Like I don't yeah. think it needs I think it's very think, much a yeah. passion a passion project more than anything else, which yeah, I also no, and, and which is, I really appreciate. 
Well, and that makes me enjoy it too. Cause then it's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, it's just like good music for the sake of it. But yeah, no, like vocally the stuff Bruno's doing in there, like is so like, it's so great how he builds and then backs off and sort of coos like, yeah. Totally respect it that high up. Um, my number three is driver's license. Um, so I remember when this song debuted at number one and this is like a grandfather moment because I was like, who is this? Like, I had no idea who this Olivia Rodrigo person was or why she was debuting at number one. Like, usually you needed to be like sort of well-known and established to successfully debut a song at number one. Um, and I just, you know, didn't know who this person was, but then I like read into all the drama about the Sabrina and Jeremiah and all of the love triangle or whatever was going on there. And, um, yeah, this song just sort of like left out of nowhere. And, um, I remember like listening to it for a couple seconds and not really thinking it was like anything that remarkable. And then later when I became aware of the bridge, I was like, oh, interesting. And yeah, like this song has really proven to be like one of the most textured and interesting and phenomenally successful debuts in recent memory. I mean, rarely does anybody come out with a song this good right at the beginning, but like it is personal and unique. You've got like the little like car door noises that are spread throughout the production and this like, you know, painfully detailed story about the, you know, you were going to drive, I was going to drive you around when I got my license. Like, Ooh, you're just like sitting in her pain. And then it's like, you just like, there's a tenderness and vulnerability and you really start feeling with her. And then this bridge comes over and it's just like this magical whooshing moment where you're just like lost in this wistful fantasy. Like, and then you just end feeling devastated. Like it is just like a moment with the capital M. Like I, I just like completely drawn in by this song and the, the, the star power, it was not a fluke. You know, like here she is like killing it late into the game. Like it's just, it's a really impressive realized debut effort. I'm very excited to see where she goes. And, um, you know, she has a signature song for life. I mean, this is gonna come on, you know, for the rest of her career and what a moment it will be that 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 bridge is really everything. And I'm, I'm excited to see the impact that bridge has on music in general, like what kind of like, astonishing whooshing codas are we gonna get next like yeah it's just it's great it's it's a whole moment of a song yep well my number three is also driver's license oh perfect (laughs) yes i'm glad we had at least one that matched up so i don't even know what i can add to the add on to that though i feel like i'm kind of in the opposite boat of you where according to spotify i was in the first 1% of people to listen to the song when it released wow. and Amazing. again as someone who was in that first first percentile even i did i am still just completely blown away at how much this song took off and i feel like just became really a movement it became a mo- a moment in time that this Olivia Rodrigo, who had, you know, a decent amount of fame, you know, was able 
to have to essentially just bloom into superstardom with one song and what a song to have that bridge I think is just an all-time great I think we are going to be seeing its influence for many years to come but I feel like when talking about this song what I'm really what has really stuck with me is there's a YouTuber that I watch his name is Todd in the Shadows he did like a analysis of this song and what he notes is that it's not necessarily a mature song in the sense of its subject matter it's very much kind of very much zoned in in that kind of teenage state of mind that 16 year old feeling of like you know I had my first relationship end and it feels like the end of the world but what he notes is that while it's not necessarily a mature song in subject matter is that she's able to give an incredibly mature performance and that is an observation that has really stuck with me throughout this year and what I feel like is truly just Olivia Rodrigo is a storyteller and I feel like she takes a lot of that from her idol Taylor Swift, which you can, the influences from Taylor are all over this track. This track is very reminiscent of uh, a track on Taylor's uh, reputation, uh, Getaway Car. And so the influences are all over it. But again, what I love about Olivia is how she's able to incorporate those influences and truly make them her own and how she is able to pay homage to the artists who have influenced her and her work but she's also very much able to tap into her own pain, but also just make it relatable to everybody that I feel like this, I feel like this is a song that could have really been hindered by kind of the salacious love triangle aspect of it. But I feel like Olivia Rodrigo's vocals, that bridge, the details, like there's such an attention to detail. What I found out actually is that the turning of the car key, like the engine starting is like, it was actually recorded from the starting of her mom's car. Like that's the car that they used for that. And so I feel like even in those little moments right there, there is such an attention to detail that I just love. And I feel like to have a song just become this huge force. And while I feel like it could have been just really rooted in the love triangle drama of it all, I feel like it really speaks to Olivia's power and charisma as a performer that the song was able to transcend that and really stand on its own and kind of go beyond the head headlines and stand on its own as a true work of art. And, and this good for her because she really got baited oh, many yes. times to try to dive into it. And she really held her ground and didn't mm -hmm. let the, the scandal swallow the song up. So good on her for that too, because that is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, but this was easily my number one most played out of all these songs. This was the number one, Billboard number one song that I've listened to the most this year. And I love it. I love it. Dope, yeah. No, I'm glad we matched up on one. So my number two, which it sort of reveals my number one, I guess. Um, my number two is Easy On Me by Adele. Um, which we've already touched on, you know, and I really liked this song too. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily my very favorite song when it came out again, sort of rehashing what's on our 30 deep dive. Um, you know, when it came out, I didn't really, I honestly didn't think too much of it. It just sounded pretty standard for Adele. And it was like, yeah, here's Adele doing her Adele thing. But this song's meaning is so layered and deep. And, you know, it's about going easy on oneself. It's about, um, sort of 
uh, asking for an, a large audience to approach with, you know, empathy and understanding um, to give people the space to actually tell the complete story of their thoughts. Like, it's just a great introductory moment for the body of work that it is. And then I just, I've grown to really be mesmerized by, you know, that, you know, fragility she has in the beginning of the chorus to sort of drop into just that trademark Adele powerhouse. You know, it really is um, just an astounding vocal. And um, I love that she she went with something, it's, it's both everything that she's done before and something completely new and just kind of breezy and light while also being, you know, deep and full of despair and hope and triumph. It's just, she, no one can capture emotions quite like Adele. And it's a really great track. And I've only, I've only liked it more and more as it's gone on uh, longer and longer. And, you know, to date it's been uh, seven weeks at number one, but um, I've, the Christmas songs are gonna fall off the chart next week, I'm assuming. So uh, this song was the highest charting non-Christmas song. So I, I could see this returning to number one for some more time. Yeah, absolutely. Very well spoken. And so going to my number two, which is all too well. Thank uh, goodness. Ten, ten minute version. Yes. I was uh, so worried. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which I feel like revealing my number two is going to by proxy reveal my number one. But yes, uh, I it's no secret that I am a huge Taylor Swift fan. I'm literally wearing a Taylor Swift sweatshirt right now. But this song, of course, I feel like from the minute that Taylor announced uh, Red Taylor's version, every the anticipation for the re-recorded version of All Too Well was at an all-time high. And All Too Well is a song that I have always really liked. I don't think it's, I honestly wouldn't even really put it in my top 10 favorite Taylor songs. I, it's a song that I've always really appreciated. It's a song that I've really enjoyed, but there have just been songs both on Red, the album that All Too Well is featured on, but also just in her larger discography that I collect, that I connect with more. But when she announced the 10 minute version of All Too Well, I was one very excited, but I felt like I was very cautiously optimistic that I was like, okay, like, is this just going to be kind of not necessarily a gimmick, but is this going to be Taylor kind of playing into just giving her fans directly what they want because this is just that she knows it's a fan favorite everyone loves it you know it's regarded as one of if not the best song that she's ever made and I felt like you know is what is she gonna be able to do with this song and I was just even as someone who is a huge Taylor Swift fan I was still just completely blown away with what she was able to do this track. I feel like it's not gimmicky whatsoever. And I feel like the artistic choices that were made here were really intentional. And it's just, it's a 10 minute track that commands every single second of your of your attention. And I feel like even it's just, it's again, similar with driver's license. I feel like all too well 10 minute version is not only a song but it's become a pop culture moment in time and I feel like that's been accompanied with the music video which kind of acted as its own short film like AMC theaters literally screened that short film in New York City and LA you're like, kidding 
they I am not kidding. I am not kidding. They screened it for it. one for one week. You could go to a movie theater and you could pay $25 and you could sit in a movie theater and watch this as an actual like 15 minute feature film. And so I feel like just the way that it is just immediately cemented itself as a classic in every regard, like there's this great line that's like the, and you toss, and you're tossing me the car keys, fuck the patriarchy keychain on the ground. There is already a fuck the patriarchy keychain in her merch shop. The way that this song has just so evolved and become just this enormous thing unto itself that she was able to go on to SNL and perform this as her only song that this is the longest song to ever be a billboard number one hit. I feel like, and this song is 10 years old, almost 10 years old. This song came out in 2012. And the fact that Taylor Swift has already done so much this year and she already took a song that was so beloved and she was able to give true life and to just so much new meaning to it and really, really, really tap into every kind of emotionally devastating nook and cranny of this song of this situation and this relationship that she, she sings about and that it doesn't feel gimmicky it doesn't feel forced it feels like this is truly owning every single moment of that story of that moment in time I think is why I love her why I love her I don't think she is a perfect human being in any regard but I feel like all too well 10 minute version and just what it's created within pop culture, a lot of it speaks to why I love her as much as I do and that she has been able to take a moment in her life, a moment that was incredibly painful and traumatic and hard for her. And she was able to make it into something that transcends beyond herself. And that I am just, the magnitude of it all is almost indescribable. And I think I, I find myself being very excited because, and I, I, you can totally correct me because this is just what my perception was, was my thought was when I heard that this was going to happen, I kind of thought like, okay, she's going to put out some just re-records of these songs. And like other artists have done this, like Jojo did it. Like she just re-recorded her songs and put them out there. And there wasn't this like spectacle about it or you know, like releasing additional material or any of these things. And I didn't know about this. I don't know how early on this was announced or decided upon, but it's become, I mean, I think this red re-release has been particular, like, I mean, as someone who's not really keyed into Taylor Swift at all, I mean, it's everywhere. This people are talking about it. It's like, you know, people are anxious to see what she's going to do. And here she's, you know, released a 10 minute version of this beloved fan favorite and, um, you know, made a film and a spectacle about it. You know, it's just like, I, I, I think they are realizing, her team is realizing, like, if we want to put energy into this, people are going to be into this. So that to me, it's like, she has a lot of songs that are very popular or, you know, well-known kind of modern classic type songs that, I mean, are on some of these albums that are yet to be given this re-record treatment. So I think that I'm, I'm actually excited legitimately to see what other stuff she has up her sleeve, because I think long term, I mean, it's getting people to reevaluate and reexamine her catalog that either didn't do it the first time or, you know, 
needed, you know, a reminder. And it's like, it's resurrecting old songs and turning them into modern hits. I mean, like, that's something that I think would be really cool if a lot of artists did that. And I mean, that's like, I just think that she's opening up a very interesting lane. And like, I would love to see what, like, not only what she does, but like what the people following her in the industry are going to do with this lane she's opening up. She's making a blueprint. And it's just, it's very exciting. Oh yeah, absolutely. I feel like even from like the her first re-record which came out in April of this year which was fearless the amount of people that I heard talking about red Taylor's version as opposed to fearless Taylor's version just night and day like I think all too well was a big part of that excitement but I feel like I have never heard as many people like just as tuned in to Taylor Swift during this Red Taylor's version era as I've ever seen as someone who has followed her for since 2007. I feel like she is at her, like I've never seen as many people as engaged and talking about her as right now. And I think that is just, again, super incredible and exciting to see. And even Red is not even my favorite album from her. So I'm so excited to see what she's able to do with the rest of these re-records. And yeah, I hope it opens some doors. Again, I don't think she's, what she's doing, I mean, what she's doing in a lot of senses is really incredible and impactful. But again, we've seen artists do very similar kind of projects, uh, JoJo with her re-records, but even someone like Carly Rae Jepsen, what she did for her emotion and dedicated albums is she had B-side albums of tracks that didn't make the original track list, which are still great. And so I, and I've loved both of those projects. So it's really exciting to see an artist of Taylor Swift's caliber kind of go down a similar route and, you know, maybe who knows what we're going to see from these next, I don't even know how many albums she has left. So there's debut speak now, 1989 and reputation. So we have four albums left in this journey of hers. And I feel like there's nowhere else to go, but up. And I'm so excited to see what happens. Yeah, no, it'll be, it'll be cool to see. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, I guess this is both of our number yeah. ones and we didn't even plan it. Amazing. I know. Montero, call me by your name. Yes. X. Oof. Absolutely. It's a good one. It's what a moment, what a moment in time. I feel like what really gave this the edge over all too well, one all too well, I feel like, you know, it's a re- it's a reimagining and a reinterpretation of an older song. I feel like that's one of the reasons why I couldn't give it the number one. But I feel like just with this song, having this be the lead single to Lil Nas's debut album, there are just so many layers to talk about with this song. It's music video, the cultural response to it. It is just, dare I say, a cultural reset. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if there is any time to use that phrase, I feel like it's right now that, again, I feel like we've already said it at nauseum that this was the year of Lil Nas X. And this truly just, this just made it for me. This just made it that to just see a song that was just so undeniably catchy. So uh, to see a pop song hit number one, just be so unapologetically queer was just revolutionary really to see that oh my gosh I feel like there's so much even more that I feel like we're not even scratching the surface yet but this is this is just incredible 
Well, the thing I love, and I think Industry Baby also deals with this as well as, you know, Call Me By Your Name, but like Old Town Road should have swallowed this man whole. Like we should not still be talking about him and he knows it. Like, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna say it. Like Old Town Road is legendary and all that, but it has all of the trappings of one hit wonder all over it. Oh yes. It did not demand a follow-up, I don't think. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think like, yeah, like Panini went and hit top five after. Like, I think Lil Nas X like made a bit of a moment of it and like his early savviness in terms of marketing and presentation and social media uh, literacy was evident. But like, I just never saw um, him being like a relevant force on the A-list of pop um, in the wake of Old Town Road, like through the rest of 2019. And I mean, like 2020, yeah, it's like, I kind of figured he might pop in, have a couple more top 10 hits and that would be that. But like with Montero, Call Me By Your Name, I mean, it's just like, it was just like, being smacked across the face like several times like oh i need to be paying attention to this man like and that was just like a very cool experience and yeah to have it be like he not only unabashedly queer but also just unabashedly like no 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 one else can be in this music video like i am the only one qualified to tell this story like just such a badass move and just like Mm -hmm. the fashion and like all of the like androgynous and like just it was like very like fashion forward and Mm -hmm. looked great the whole time and just like delivering on the pole dancing we did talk about the give me more music video britney spears like britney spears i'm sorry little Mm -hmm. nas x showed you up on the oh yes so hard like come on mm-hmm. and then like the lap dance for satan and then just like killing satan to become Satan. like it's yeah. all just it was all just a genius a genius moment and like yeah i mean he's continuing to deliver on it like i love what's next and um industry baby had like um self-fulfilling prophecy moments where like what's next talks about debuting at number one and it did debut at number one and um uh industry baby says gotta get a couple number ones Mm-hmm. Um, like in addition to Old Town Road and like that was his second number one from Old Town Road so it's yeah. like these self-referential moments are very funny but yeah like Calling By Your Name is just like it's something else entirely and like you, we just haven't seen something like it before and it's like crazy to me that it worked like it should not have worked like at yeah. all but he knows he knows more than I do like I need to he's telling me like he's paving the way. Like we just need to follow him. He knows where he's going. Like it's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah. And I think another just incredible aspect of this song, similar to Olivia Rodrigo with driver's license is that the controversy did not swallow this song either. And I feel like it opened up a really, a lot of really kind of necessary conversations, you know, a lot of kind of the backlash of this song was kind of, you know, people and parents being like, you know, with Lil Nas X having this imagery of him on the stripper pole, giving Satan a lap dance. He was like, you made Old Town Road. Like that song was like for children, which like also Old Town Road is not a children's song. Like there's references to drinking lean and cheating on your partner. Like it's very much not a children's song, even if children do enjoy it. And he also sings about boobies, which is confusing. Yes. So like, 
which I find interesting is that Old Town, that many people consider Old Town Road to be a children's song because it resonated with young people, which, but that's another discussion for another time. That's not his problem. That's not his problem. And like, he, I feel like Montero was really his opportunity to be like, I'm going to do what the fuck I want. And I feel like it kind of brings up a very kind of valid point about these kind of parasocial relationships we have with artists and celebrities with being like, no, you don't get to dictate like what music I make. Like if your kid is watching, your kid is watching. Like, it's not like, it's not like what your kid watches or consumes is not my authority. Like I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And the way, just the amount of references he's able in the music video alone, the references to religion, art history, I think even queer literature with even the song's title, call me by your name. Like the author of that original novel, I think Andre Eichmann is his name. And he was like, he was like, I fucking love this song that, which is just a moment that I find really cool is that there's just, Lil Nas X, he's not only just an incredible musician in his own right, but he just has such an incredible and nuanced understanding of pop culture, how to make himself relevant, that he's just in his understanding of marketing and branding is just genius. He's really just so, he's so multifaceted. I think that's the biggest thing is that he's able to just do so much at once. And it's just, uh. I feel like there's just not enough things I can say about him. It's just, this is incredible. Yeah, no, it's, I think like, this is like, we're talking about like bridge to superstardom. Like this is the bridge, like you're crossing it. Like way to go, bud. Like Mm -hmm. it's awesome to see. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I, the people now know our takes on all of the number ones of 2021. So I'm very excited to see what will be uh, the number ones of 2022. Maybe we'll have to make a tradition of this. Um, I I do, I my hope is that Dua Lipa can get a number one. I think she deserves it. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that will be in store in 2022. Maybe Rihanna will yeah. <laughs> release music, mm-hmm. get another number one in 2022. Those would be my two primary wishes per yeah. se um but i'm excited yeah. to see you know what's what's gonna happen yeah absolutely i think it'd be really interesting to think about yeah who did not get a number one in 2021 who i feel like who we thought maybe deserved it i feel like billy eilish definitely deserved a number one for her song happier than ever i think that's the best song she's ever made and i'm so i, I was and i felt like that had traction but it, it, yeah, did. it didn't really chart impressively yeah which is not everything but yeah yeah, I'm just surprised yeah so I was I was a little disappointed not to see to see to not see happier than ever on the list I think that is one of my absolute favorite songs of the year and so disappointed to see that just very disappointing to see levitating not make it to number one either since the staying power of that song is I feel like no and it was it was so earned and I also really love too that like she broke the rep record like without baby on the track like he had yeah. fallen off the track by that point like mm-hmm. i loved how this song like really had another like couple months of success after the baby remix had like fallen out of favor um with you know some of the comments that he made in july so yeah, yeah. i mean in, in a way like it does bother me that it didn't hit number one but it's also like kind of like adds to the like 
Dua Lipa's too cool. That song is too cool to hit number one. Like, you yeah. know, it's just kind of like, it's, it just is going to be um, a stalwart song. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be a number one, but yeah, I just, I feel like if it was going to be number one, like there was a perfect week for it to happen where it wouldn't have like taken away, you know, another number one week for another yeah. song. I feel like so. even like BTS with butter, it had so many weeks or even. Yeah, it could have given one to levitate. Yeah. Like, come on. For sure. Oh well. Oh, oh well. She can do. She'll have an, uh, many more chances. I'm sure. Yeah. She's she's on the rise. I think. Yes. Maybe going on the future nostalgia tour will give it the needed boost to get it to number one. Who knows, man? Who, Who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, that's our show, folks. Yep. That is a wrap on 2021. All and, right. Take care, everybody. Yep. All righty. Bye bye. Good night.